Hey everyone, welcome to the Delta Flyers with Tom and Harry as we journey through episodes of Star Trek Voyager. Your two hosts along this journey are my fellow Trek actor and guest star on four episodes of the 1992 TV series Homefront, Mr. Robert Duncan McNeil, and myself, your favorite forever ensign, Garrett Wong. Remember, you can get the full version of this podcast by signing up to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash the Delta Flyers. Do you you remember your character's name in those four episodes? No. Um, I'm going to give you a hint. The first letter, uh, the first name starts with a B and your last name starts with a C, B and C. I don't know. (laughs) Brian? I have no idea. Bill, Bill, you're Bill Caswell. Yeah. Bill Caswell. Yeah, that's right. That's right. How was that? Shooting that. Well, it's so funny because I had gone in uh, to test for that pilot, and oh, okay. um, I came very close. And I know the uh, creators of the show uh, had wanted me to do the show, and the network went with wanted to go with somebody else. Anyway, oh. so they created that character because I had tested, and I'm surprised it was only four episodes. I feel like I did more. I felt like I did six or eight episodes. Maybe. Okay. But, okay, but it might have just been four. But it was great. It was yeah. a it was a great role. I played sort of kind of like Nick Locarno in the Next Generation guest star. He was he seemed like a really good guy hmm. uh, when he first came on, and he turned out to be a con man and a swindler, and was kind of uh, he 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 basically came back from World War II. Yeah. Huh? And came into this little town and uh, found this girl whose fiance or boyfriend or whatever uh, had died in World War II. He had been killed. Oh. And I came back and said, oh, he was my buddy. And he told oh. me all about you. Mm. And then I sort of romanced her and okay. got her, you know, took advantage of her grief and all of that. And ultimately kind of wanted to use her connections to further my own interests. And so... Mm. He was sort of a bad guy, but uh, yeah, it was kind of cool. Well, it's interesting. That must have been the theme for 1992, because that is when you filmed Nick Locarno the same year. So was it really? Yeah. So home front kind of a grifter, kind of, you know, good at first and then not so good later. Same role in the same same year. year? Oh, that's funny. Isn't that nuts? Uh, It is kind of funny. Then it must have been because. As I recall, I was doing Six Degrees of Separation on Broadway. Yes. And I had gone in to test for that pilot and didn't get the pilot, but then I ended up doing the show mm-hmm. and then that year. And then, um, yeah, Next Gen must have been that same year because then I did another pilot called Going to Extremes that year. Correct. Right after Next Gen. So, wow, yeah. that was a nice, that was a good year then. It's a good year. Good, good it's a good year. For 91, you. 92. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah. you know, that's, that's rare as well. Like you could, for you to be up for a series regular and then they go with somebody else, but then give you this consolation prize of, by the way, we're bringing yeah. you back as a guest star recurring for this many episodes. It was they, very nice of them. Very nice of them. Somebody was really going to bat for you in that. They really, uh, they really did. Their names were Lynn Latham and Bernie Lechowick, I think was his name. Okay. The and showrunners. These Lynn the and showrunners. Bernie that were the showrunners of Homefront mm-hmm. and... A couple of years later, after 
but right before Voyager, maybe the year before Voyager, mm-hmm. uh, they called me for another show that oh, I wow. tested for, did not get. Wow. And then they brought me in as a recurring. So they did that twice for me. Wow. Yeah. Lynn and Bernie were very good to me. Well, Robbie, if you decide to go back into acting, I think you should contact Lynn and Bernie and say, hey, it's me again. No kidding. You're they were very <laughs> people. They were very, very, very good to me. Good. I did a, I did a show called Second Chances for them, ironic title. Mm-hmm. And when I tested for it for CBS, when I went to the network test, that's where J-Lo was testing. And I remember her sitting in the hallway oh, and she wow. was like shaking like a leaf and panicking. Oh my goodness. Testing for this show called Second Chances. And uh, she had just been, she had never gotten any kind of big acting role before oh. this. And I remember going, it's all right. Cause I had gone through a couple of years of like, yeah. testing and getting pilots and not going. And yeah. I, I, I was feeling very much more relaxed and I knew Lynn and Bernie. Yes. So I said to, uh, you know, and there's only like three or four of us in the hallway right. waiting to go in. And, uh, and I said, Oh, they're so nice. And, you know, don't relax. And I, and I ended up like reading, you know, running the lines with her or something out there. Oh, wow. She, she ended up getting the series uh, nice. Second Chances, and then as soon as she started shooting that, she got this other job, yeah. uh, movie called Selena, which is the thing oh, that yeah. really—that's what made her. her. Yeah. So Second Chances was this weird little soapy CBS show that didn't last. We only made eight or nine episodes, I think. But uh, well, yeah. this is my takeaway from your story: is that yes. for all of you aspiring actors out there, just realize even someone like J Lo. Shaking like a leaf she outside like for her audition. And, yeah. you know, the nerves, are they're going to be there. They are going to be there. You cannot yeah. suppress them because that makes you shake even more. You have to acknowledge them. And the best way to acknowledge them is to really control your breathing. That's the one thing that people yeah. forget. They start getting so shallow in their breath and they almost to the point of hyperventilating. They're like, <laughs> you know, that's just too you know, much. It's just yeah. in really slow five seconds, out really slow five seconds. If yeah. you can do that, you can control those nerves. So. It's funny. Uh, remember, we talked to Brian Markinson, who had been a guest star on Voyager. Yes. Good Brian, Brian. In, mm-hmm. Brian is a good friend of mine, and he's an acting teacher as well as an incredible actor mm. up in Vancouver. And his class is called breathe into acting or something like that. I it's love it. All about breathing. Oh, wow. He's like, learn the lines so you don't have to think about it and then forget them and just focus on breathing. On your breath. Yeah. And yeah. It's all about exactly what you're talking about. I love that. I yeah. love that. I, I I almost feel like I want to drop in and, and uh, audit Take his, his class. class. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, Brian Markinson. He's Wouldn't a great... that be funny if we both showed up in his class and like, sure. hey, Brian, here we are. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> Next time we're in Vancouver, let's okay. go. Let's do this together. Yeah. All righty. So are you ready for this week's episode? Yes. Yeah. Oh, did yes. you notice? I'm wearing the new shirt now. You see? So, oh, I like it. Yeah. There's our... Delta Flyers uh, logo, yeah. name of our show on the front, and yeah. the back has every episode. Yeah. Uh, uh, I have too many wires I'm connected to, so I'm not going to spin. <laughs> but it's cool. It's a cool it is shirt. It's a cool shirt. Yeah, you can see it's it on a... our You can see it on our website, the deltaflyers.org, O-R-G, and just hit shop, and you can go to the store and take a yeah. look at uh, all our little offerings that we have. Okay, so this week's episode is yes. uh, Think Tank. Think Tank tank oh yeah so let's okay. go watch this and let's do. we'll be right back see you soon everyone 
We're back from watching Think Tank. Yes. And I have to say, there was an aquarium. There was an aquarium. Like the first I, shot. I did remember that kind of vaguely in the I intro, but I didn't bring all. it. I didn't bring it up, you know. But <laughs> then when I saw it, I'm like, oh my god, there's a dang aquarium in here. Robbie's like, I was right. <laughs> that was my guess. <laughs> let's start with our our poetry synopsis. Uh, yes, let's here see. we go. Here's my haiku for Think Tank. Think Tank offers help. Request seven as payment. Trojan Borg saves us. <laughs> nice. I like that. Initially, I said Trojan horse, and I thought, no, I'll throw Tro Trojan, Trojan Borg in Borg. there. Still it's one good. syllable. Yeah, there you go. That's good. That's my All creativity. Right. All right, here we go. Here we go for some more poetry coming at you. Let's go. Our limerick goes a little something like this. Hmm. Oh, before I start this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What? I just want to make sure you remember. So Tom Paris gives Janeway and the whole crew this puzzle that he finds. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the name of the puzzle that she's struggling with? Everyone's struggling with? They gave it a name? Yeah. It, Janeway brings it up. She talks about that he had a yo-yo. And, no. and then no. this game, the yep. name of it is Sheer Lunacy. Sheer that's, lunacy. Okay. That's the name Great. of the game that she's playing. So, okay. So here we go with uh, our poetry limerick synopsis. Voyager has been taken over by sheer lunacy. The tank wants seven added to their community. Seven declines. Kuros whines. The Hazari shoot the tank with impunity. <laughs> nice. Anytime you, you can use impunity with lunacy. Right? That's impressive. I know. Okay. I know. I know. But I just uh, want to get sheer lunacy in there. So all right. Let's uh give me your give me your breakdown of the uh guest stars. Give Our guest stars, okay. Jason Alexander, uh, you know, everybody knows him from Seinfeld. Uh, pretty woman, pretty woman. He's a yeah. very successful big star. Certainly, when he did this episode, he was huge at that yes. time. Yes. Um but the most important thing is the very first job that any of these actors had. And mm. Jason Alexander's first film and TV job is was a 1981 horror film. What? About a summer camp. Teenagers at a summer camp called The Burning. What? <laughs> horror film. Um, uh, what? Yeah. He was in a horror movie. Wow. That was his first. A lot of people make their first you know, have their first shot. They cut in their teeth movie. on horror. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's um, the other thing I want to say about Jason Alexander is what I remember him from very first thing when I was still in high school, hmm. he was in the original cast of a Stephen Sondheim musical called Merrily We Roll Along. Oh, it was a huge flop oh. on Broadway. Uh oh, the concept of this musical was that you see three friends or a group of friends, three friends, and you see their story backwards in time. So you start from the end, everything's going backwards. So you mm. start when their friendships have kind of fallen apart and there's a lot of baggage and a lot of, mm -hmm. and then it, it goes backwards in time until when they very first kind of met and started out on their journey, idealistic and young. Okay. It's a so really it, it doesn't jump back and forth. It just nope. starts from the end and goes backwards chronologically, correct? Yep. Okay. Yep. Until they're young. Yes. And and Stephen Sondheim and Harold Prince, the director, cast teenagers in this musical as the concept of 
having young people telling a story from the dark ending yeah. and then working their way backwards until they're really teenagers in the show. Right. And Jason Alexander was a teenager. He was like 18 or 19 <laughs> years old. He was a baby. <laughs> and he did this musical. And I just have to say, if anyone is interested in seeing what I remember is Jason Alexander's first job and what I think is a brilliant musical that just mm. didn't succeed in its first outing, but that has a lot of fans. Merrily we roll along. You have There's an image doc- of him? You have an image image of him I, from that? I, uh... I don't have one. I don't, but he was a baby. Uh, he, he had hair then, I'm guessing, too. Yes, right? he did. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> um, there is a documentary about this musical called Best Worst Thing That Ever Happened. Oh, wow. Best Worst Thing, thing that, that Ever, ever Happened. happened. And it's a documentary with real footage of Jason Alexander when he was a teenager getting this job, doing the show. Wow. You have to, if you're a fan of musical theater or, or Jason Alexander, watch this documentary. Mm -hmm. I'm Mm -hmm. sure you can find it online. It's awesome. Okay. We also have uh, Christopher Darga playing Yesek or Yesek. I don't remember how to pronounce it. Oh, is that the first guy? Is that the first alien? Okay. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Christopher Darga and his first job was mm. in 1987. He and I share a TV show that we both did guest stars on, L.A. Law. Ah, he did L.A. Go. Law, 1987. So about 10 years before that, he'd been doing this for a while. Yeah. In contrast to Christopher Darga, we have Christopher Shea. Yes. Chris Shea, who played Sawin, Sawin, Sawin. He was the other, uh, the other uh, Hazari, I guess. Um, the and, other Hazari. <laughs> so well, there was two of them that spoke, right? Or was it the same guy both on the views? I think it's the same guy because Darga. One of these guys has to be that first blue alien that comes in the very beginning, the first scene when that alien comes oh, in. Oh, that's got to be Remember that guy. Yes, yeah, that's, yes. I think that's Yesik. And then okay, what's the name so of the then, other guy? Sawin. 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 Okay. Sawin. And again, they never say their names. I don't think. No, they, they never say again. their names. And that's Christopher Shea. Christopher right. Shea, his very first job was Deep Space Nine in 1997. So we got him on our show, was uh, one of the first shows he ever did. So that's oh, kind of cool. Okay. Cool. That is yeah. cool. I will, yeah. I will say that looking at these guest star names, it's Jason first, then it shows Christopher Darga, then it shows Christopher Shea. I did experience a little moment of PTSD for myself and I'll explain why Yes, (laughs) because in high school, my worst bully was a Christopher was a Chris. No. Uh, Yes. And uh, I've also experienced some bullying from a Jason. So my entire life, when I was a younger man, I always said that. And of course, this is a generalization. Not all Chris's and Jason's are bullies, but in my experience up in my twenties, Every single person I had an issue with was named either Chris or Jason. Oh, <laughs> it just it kept happening over and over again. So when you I sh- do you want to stop now? Do you want to stop? And we don't have to do this. It might. Yeah, I think trigger. I'm going to go. I'm going to go take a nap. So. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just odd that everyone's named yeah. Jason in this episode. So it's just something just a random, weird, weird object. connection you made. Yeah, just a random connection. Okay, before we get into the plot, I have one last bit of trivia. Please. That I learned. So uh, we do jumping ahead. Spoiler alert. uh, There are some battles where Voyager has to fire weapons and Mm. uh, we have a full spread of uh, photons, I think, off the bridge. Mm -hmm. Janeway calls for it. Um, 
torpedoes. She talks about, um, and I just want to say what I found out is that in this episode, at this point in our series, we have, uh, by, by the fans count, there have been 53 uh, photon torpedoes fired at this point. But Chakotay, <laughs> Chakotay says in the first season, Voyager only has 38 irreplaceable photon torpedoes. Well, they're irreplaceable, but you can still replicate them, though, right? I think when he says we have an irreplaceable complement of 38 photon torpedoes, that means that's all we've got to get home. I and we've, they said 38, we've fired 53 at this point. <laughs> I think it's just a little bit of trivia that uh, the writers were not keeping count of how many photon torpedoes they fired, just like the, the crew, so the number of crew <laughs> seems to go, eh, it's around 150, might be 163, <laughs> might be 148, <laughs> somewhere. Okay, so what you're telling me is that the last yes. 15 photon torpedoes that were fired were ghost torpedoes. They were yeah. not even real. They yeah, were not, not even in our complement. <laughs> I don't know why somebody didn't tell Janeway. We ran out of those photon Janeway, torpedoes. Janeway, we don't. We're at, we're at negative eight right now. Yeah. So I'm not sure if you need to fire another ghost torpedo, Captain Janeway. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, thank you All for right. that little tidbit. My You're goodness. welcome. Uh, we did not guess uh, story and teleplay, but story is by Berman and Braga. Teleplay by Michael Taylor, who's been doing quite a few teleplays lately, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, he was busy yeah. around this time. Very, think, very busy. I think Michael and Brian Fuller were the kind of the more newbies, sort of, at this point still. Yeah. And so, so they were assigned. More the workhorses then. They were yeah. the workhorses, mm -hmm. yeah. That makes sense. And and Michael continued on to Enterprise, and uh, Brian did mm -hmm. not. Brian went elsewhere. Uh, directed by Terrence O'Hara. Who is this Irishman? I don't know him. I do not, I, did not remember him. I had to look him up. And I oh will say goodness. that he's got a very extensive resume, but most of it is in the kind of procedural cop shows, things like, like a that. CSI and th those kind of things. NCIS. That, he's NCIS. done like okay. 50 episodes of NCIS. All right. He's the king of procedurals, essentially. Yes. Right. Procedurally kind mm. of stuff. But I did not remember him at all. Did you even look up a, a, an image of him and, and it didn't I jog did. your memory? Nothing. Nope. Nothing. Because we know we know Terry Wendell, another. Yeah. I'm guessing Terry is the abbreviated form of Terrence. I'm guessing. Right? So we so. know that. But then O'Hara. Oh, my goodness. I feel I horrible. I feel horrible. I feel really horrible that we do not remember this director at all. Well, I mean, we I'm did a, little... a lot of episodes. And yeah, we if, did. If but someone only does one episode. One, so you're, this is a one and done. I is think so. Probably good, is what it is. Yeah. yeah I think okay. So. Well, Terrence O'Hara, if you happen to be listening or any relatives of Terrence O'Hara, we are sorry that we don't recognize or remember yes. working yes. with you. So our apologies. He may not remember working with us either. He, <laughs> <laughs> he was like, what the, I, what the I heck is the Delta you, Flyers? What is the Delta Flyers? I got to tell you one time. Who are these goofy guys? <laughs> I'm not going to name the shows or the actor, but... <laughs> I came on to produce a show yeah. at one point and one of the series regulars came up to me and said, Oh, so good to see you again. And I did, <laughs> did not remember. And I was like, Oh yeah, good series regular. One of the lead, like oh, top no. series. You, you have no recollection. I was like, great to see you too. And I could not remember. And then, you know, some time goes by and I was talking about another show I was doing with that actor. Yeah. And she said, 
yeah, I remember. I did that show with you. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did not. You still didn't remember. Oh, no. I did not remember that she had guest starred on a show that then I ended up producing a show that she was the star of or one of the stars of. Oh, my goodness. So directors don't always remember us either. Yeah. Is all I'm Okay. Okay. Point well taken. Point well taken. It's probably the same. All right. But I also have zero memory of (laughs) anything. Anyway, right, so let's, let's start. Get let's just jump into plot. this. So let's this do is, finally, yeah, so finally, we, let's get into this. We see a blue alien walking into some bridge or whatever it is, some yes. alien room we've never seen before, and he's calling out for Mister Kuros. Mister Kuros, where are you? And uh, finally, you know, we see a, a tank. We do see some we type see of an aquarium, aquarium looking thing, a big jellyfish Thank looking uh, something in there. Yes. But uh, later we do learn that this is not some type of species of um, life that they are trying to investigate. This is actually one of the think tank aliens. In fact, one of their most brilliant and probably the most gifted, we find out later. But uh, Kuros is basically there and we find out that his population or his species has been saved by the think tank because they have found a way to find the precise harmonic for a planetary containment field. And they were able to do this in days. And this is something that the scientists on on this blue aliens planet has been attempting to figure out for decades. So they're they're, what, you know, what has been an ongoing problem for decades has now been solved. But then uh, this alien says, we've got a new problem. The Bernicium mines were destroyed during the last series of quakes. So all the ore, which is owed to the think tank is That's payment, what we were going to pay you with. Yeah, exactly. is buried under 60 gigatons of ore. So then in, you know, sort of as a, as a, a not a consolation prize, but an alternate payment, he says, look at this rubidium geode. It's so rare. And Kuros goes, yeah, it's rare, but it's really not what our deal is. And I, also, I know you're lying. We know that the ore was transported to a shielded facility right before the collapse. And so if you would like us to deactivate the containment field, which would be doom for all of you, um, go ahead and just give us this rubidium <laughs> geode. And that's what's going to happen. So you better pay up. And so, of course, mm-hmm. this alien bends the knee and leaves and says, OK, I'll pay it. But uh, you I, know. I gotta, I gotta say, Go just a couple of things during the scene that jumped out at me. One is the weird alien that talks, that looks like an insect face or whatever. Yeah. He had a super cool jacket that had these like compartments on it. Yes. It looked like box. It looked like he was wearing a metal jacket. He was kind of like the Tin Man with these boxes, like compartments. <sighs> and I was like, I want a compartment jacket like that. Like, what a smart jacket. Bob Blackman knocked it, it out of the park. You know, it it's a, a smart jacket. jacket, but it reminds me of those aliens that wore those clear raincoats with the, the LED you know, uh, things yeah, in that there. Was not, the, I didn't like that one. But, but that's what I'm trying to say. I, I feel like, although you're praising Bob, I'm not I thought not this too, one was cool. I didn't. I didn't. I'm, you didn't like I'm, the compartment no, jacket? No. Everybody was, should have a compartment jacket. What if a doctor, but, what if the holographic doctor had a compartment jacket. He could just like keep his tools in there. He just. You're just saying that because you had to do seven years of episodes in a uniform that had no pockets, no and pockets. That's why, and, and that's why you're, you're so envious so of many any pockets. alien with a 50,000 pockets, probably, yes. you know, 
I mean, I will say I like, I think the make, I think Michael Westmore knocked it out of the park, all the alien makeup on here. Because typically, let's face it, it's usually a little thing here on the nose, the bridge of the nose, or a little thing on the temple or an extra nostril flare, not full. I mean, look at the the first alien that comes in, full prosthetic makeup. The the dude with the crazy pocket jacket, full prosthetic makeup. The Hazari, full prosthetic, and yeah. all completely different. So really, Michael Westmore and 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 his crew. So they, I think they pulled out all the stops on this. The entire yeah. makeup department. So I'm guessing. I'm wondering if Scott did these uh sculpted any of these i'm sure he was well we did we did do for our patreon patrons we did a deep dive with scott wheeler uh mm-hmm. the neelix designer and mm-hmm. the board queen designer and yep. lots of great alien des- makeup designs yeah uh well, scott wheeler talked about all this and how he would sort of create aliens and have them ready yes in case a story came up and yes. this was probably an episode where they used that stuff do you recall scott said that there were two sculptors so one, he was one. Yeah. And two, I'm guessing was Mark Showstrom. Yeah. I, I, I think Mark that's did. who it was. I yeah. think he did the other ones. I remember him working on some stuff. So um, so clearly, so one of these or more than one of these aliens were sculpted by Scott and or Mark. So a yeah. good job yeah. overall. You know, when in the intro I talked about remembering Jason having a monk type of robe oh yeah his, his hair being like einstein it's worse than einstein <laughs> oh that's like, horrible it, it was really like what is, is going bad. on with that hair it is just oh my goodness yeah i almost feel like i would have liked to have seen him completely bald just to just to, you know just the, the little prosthetics on there and no hair at all because it almost cheapened it for me you know in yeah. a way for as an audience member i felt like you're pulling me out with that that horrible those horrible yeah. split ends. Let's just, what's going on with that dry, frizzy hair? It's like, yeah. ew, it's bad. And it looked very different scene to scene. Like, yes, the, there was no consistency. Was, uh, none. Yeah, the hair, the hair was not great for no. Jason Alexander. We do go to the ready room from here. Jane yes, was working on a puzzle. Yep. She is working on the puzzle that Tom gave her. <laughs> and it is called Sheer Lunacy. Lunacy. And she also mentions Seven walks in. She yeah. starts, she's very, she's determined to beat this puzzle. She's really trying. Yeah, I right. love her, the whole runner with her in that puzzle. Yeah. Every time it came up, she was like rolling her eyes. Like, <laughs> um, she talked about how Paris uh, had had brought in the yo-yo for the, all the crew to try. That's right. Uh, just the before other... this. Yes. Yeah. You are you are the reason why all these ship-wide crazes are happening. And exactly. It's, it's Paris. So yes. that's pretty cool. Um, so Seven had actually came in to tell Janeway that long range scans have picked up. And then that's when she gets interrupted because Janeway yep. is so into that puzzle. Have picked up a planetoid with high concentrations of dilithium crystals, which is what we need, we need to power it. that warp core. So we yep. need it badly. So we go on the bridge. They walk yep. out. And guess who else is working on a daggum puzzle? But Harry Kim. Harry yes, Kim, he is. Did you make any notes on this? Did you say anything regarding like why does Harry have a game while he's at work? But he's at duty shift. I no. mean, like, what? <laughs> it's kind of like what? Like this is something that they would do on the Orville. They would have a game on the bridge and be yeah. playing it. I'm sure, right? There's a little bit more laxed um, regulations there, but I just felt that that was highly unusual. That Harry was, was highly unusual. It just shows the power of, of the Tom Harris's games <laughs> that he can 
start these crazes that okay. everybody is obsessed right. with. Okay. All right. I'll go with that. Okay. Substantial. Yeah. Substantial dilithium deposits about 60 kilometers down. Harry detects some kind of resonance wave that's emanating from the core. This freaks Janeway out. She orders Tom to back off. We do, and the entire planet just explodes, and there's now Metreon gas all over the place, which has now collapsed our warp field, knocked our impulse engines offline. Tuvok then reports a heavily armed vessel has just dropped out of warp off of the port bow, and Seven recognizes them, species 4228, the Hazari, technologically advanced, extremely violent, hired to capture and deliver alien vessels. Paris lets us know, Bounty hunters. Bounty hunters. Da, da, da. That's right. Yep. Yep. The uh, Hazari captain asked Janeway to surrender when he comes on the view screen. And she basically says, oh, well, I'm going to charge up these phaser banks. And he says, good luck. You're going to ignite the entire gas cloud. And Janeway goes, fine, I'll do it. And then you're going to get blown up, too. And he says, OK. He calls her bluff. He moves closer, engages a tractor beam. Voyager's now stuck, being pulled in. And Janeway says, fire. We fire, ignite the gas cloud. Throw, which throws us beyond the cloud and Tom Paris takes us to warp. And for some reason, Hazari don't follow. He's not really that damaged. So Janeway's a little curious why. We mm -hmm. jump to Astrometrics and Tuvok, Harry and Chakotay are in there. And now Chakotay realizes why they didn't come after us because they have backup. They have reinforcements. 23 ships in our own sector and, and more coming. So yeah. yeah. That's a big issue. Um, Chakotay says, you know what? There's got to be a way out of this. There's something that they have not anticipated. So he orders that the info is downloaded and given to the captain for her to uh, basically ponder. And uh, that's mm -hmm. what brings us to the next scene in the mess hall. Next scene in the mess hall. We, yeah. we see uh, Neelix is bringing some coffee over. Mm -hmm. We pan over as he walks through the dark mess hall. And there's yeah. Janeway. He reveals Janeway sitting by herself with her, mm -hmm. her computer and he makes a joke about, well, maybe we should get the doctor to uh, just give you a hyperspray of caffeine uh, of caffeine. <laughs> and uh, I thought that was funny. A little it coffee funny. joke in there. Sure. Um, yeah. And then he leaves her with a coffee. She puzzles over it. She walks. She stands up and goes over to the window. And this was something that uh, the director did that I like. OK. It was sort of a trick shot where she stands up. She walks over towards the window to ponder. And then we hear someone off camera and she turns Talking. and there's Koros. there's Koros, there's Jason Alexander sitting where she just stood up from. Correct. And it's a, it's a cool, you know, it's a very simple shot, but it was really effective to sort of surprise her. And yeah. the other thing that came to mind is as uh, Janeway stared out the window, trying to puzzle over the solving this problem, of, mm -hmm. there's got to be a way out problem is that we didn't often have our character standing by windows, just staring out into space. And we almost never put the camera outside and looked in because Rick Berman didn't, for two reasons, he didn't like those shots very much. He felt like, why is the camera out floating in space? And uh, also because our sets weren't finished on the outside. <laughs> like, I don't know if you remember, but uh, if you mm -hmm. stood outside of our sets, you just mm -hmm. saw wood, wood. and nails yeah. and yeah. You know, it, it was not finished on the yeah, It's all two by fours. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I thought of that as she walked over to ponder the, the puzzle of how to how to get out of this. Right. That we never go out there. But he did a great job. Basically, he, uh, he has this conversation about the philosophical opportunities that problems create for us. Mm -hmm. He talks mm -hmm. about, 
you know, problems can, like this can spark new ways of seeing things and new solutions. And mm-hmm. he's just very philosophical about her situation. He is. And also, also what's important with this scene is we realize that Janeway at first tries to call security and he, he's like, well, oh, yeah. I've, disabled says, all your, not- I've disabled your comms. And by the way, I'm not even here. I'm an isomorphic projection. So yeah. we learn now that this is superior technology to what Voyager or anyone exactly. else has at this point. I like when he drinks her coffee too. <laughs> yeah, I know. He, just he takes a up. drink of her coffee and he's like, oh, you like this? You actually like this? And she says, but, it's an acquired taste. I yeah, like but that. again, how how advanced is that? As a projection, he's able to pick up her coffee and drink yes. it and taste it, even though yeah. he's not there, which is insane. Um, he's offered to help uh, with this Hazari problem. And he's, you know, as a little help, helpful tip, I guess, he says, look, I just downloaded every possible Hazari trap for you right now into your into your little laptop there. And you can just uh, take that as a goodwill yeah, offer. A, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Here's a little taste of how I could help you. Yeah, and, all for a and price. He does, he does say for a price. <laughs> yeah. And uh, why don't you come over? We'll talk about the price. You come mm-hmm. over to my ship. You can only bring one you can only bring one crewman and no scanning devices. No scanning of devices, yeah. And it's interesting, like when he said this, it never occurred to me. Like, what if she what if she didn't take seven over there? What if she took Tuvok as head of security? Or, sure. Like, how did they must have gone through all the mathematical simulations and like because they wanted seven of them? Yeah. So they so, realized that, that that was the way that Janeway was gonna go for some reason. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> we're on the bridge and yeah. We are now at the coordinates for the meetup with the think tank vessel. And Tuvok, uh, the vessel does appear um, out, of sub, out of subspace. It shows up. Mm-hmm. And Tuvok says, um, this hull is made of a neutronium-based alloy. Mm-hmm. Super advanced. Starfleet has theorized about this, but they definitely have not manifested this. And then the Borg have definitely not manifested this Yeah, seven, like, 7 says the Borg like, have tried and they haven't no, manif- they have been able this. to build it. Nope. Yeah. So now we finally go to the think tank bridge and Janeway. We do. Well, on the, on the bridge, on our bridge as uh, seven and Janeway head to the transporter room to beam over. Yeah. I noticed that seven headed back towards the turbo lift and stepped right in front of the captain. And I was like, usually the captain would go first or I was like, Whoa, that was an interesting, I wonder if that occurred because I feel like, if you or I had gone, you know, if the captain said, you know, Mr. Kim, this way or something, you would have followed her instead Correct. of led the way. Correct. It's just a little detail. Yeah, I, small detail. You know, but, the yeah. formality of the military protocols that mm-hmm. I don't know that we always stayed on top of. That's yeah. all. All right. Good call. Anyway, yes, we do go over to the ship and Janeway and Seven, have, they beam aboard and they're in this room we saw earlier and... Uh, yeah. They see an alien named Fenom. Yeah, well, the first with... thing she sees is the the, the tank, right? So oh, Janeway yeah. she sees, sees the, tank the tank and she says, they must be studying it. And then that's when Jason Alexander replies, mm-hmm. actually, she is studying you, our residence expert on temporal physics, perhaps the most gifted member of our group. Janeway says, one of my most gifted crewmen, seven of nine. And that's the biggest compliment she's ever paid seven. I'm yes, going to say right now. That's true. She never says that. Never. That's true. It's always, what's seven doing now? You know, and, you know, yeah. talking back to me, this and that. And boom, one of my most gifted crewmen, seven of nine. Mm-hmm. And now Kuros introduces Phenom and also tells us that the round sphere 
is what allows the members of this think tank to communicate telepathically. Mm-hmm. And then we hear this whale-like sound. And now we go over to this, another huge aquarium and it's Bevox, a bioplasmic life form, another member of the think tank. He prefers variable gravity environment and his specialty is exosociology and quantum mechanics. And Bevox, which really to me looks like a massive- looks um, like a- Manatee uh, or something. What, what's the Loch Ness monster is what it looks like. Oh, yeah. Sort of like, yeah. like that, okay. right? And Bevox is the one who founded this group 100 years ago, which means, uh, number one. By the, way, by the way, as soon as he said 100 years ago, I'm like, you know, years are a measurement of time in our solar system based on, the, based on the, the orbit of the sun. Correct. So for him to say, like, although yeah. he, he's got to be translated anyway, so I guess yes. whatever. Whatever language he said in his language was translated into our years. Is the so, equivalent yeah. of a hundred years. But yeah. it's sometimes those little things bump me. I'm like, wait, how does he know years? Correct. And we but, we write it off with the the universal yes. translator every time. Yeah. Um, but this guy, he or Bevox, this individual, this being, founded the group 100 years ago after wandering the galaxy on his own for mm-hmm. a few millennia. So over 3,000 years, this uh, individual has been wandering the galaxy, and we don't even know his true How did he wander if he if he floats in this environment <laughs> that looks like a tank? Like, he looks like he's in a giant You know what he should have said? Okay, you're right. He should have said he, he founded the group 100 years ago after floating through the galaxy on yes. his own for a few, a few yes. millennia. So, yeah, so Michael Taylor could have changed that to that uh, line, and that would have made a little bit more sense. And then the final member of this group is the AI, the artificial intelligence. And then, you know, Kuro starts listing all these wonderful accomplishments that the think tank by the, has By the done. way, the, yeah, the AI, by the way, the little robot. Basically. Yeah, what did that remind you of? Because to me, when I looked at, you know, the, the AI, it, it yeah. looked, you ever watch Mystery Science Theater 3000? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's that like one that. robot that looks kind of like this AI in mm-hmm. a way a little bit. But uh, okay, hey, let's just talk about these accomplishments. I mean, he lists all these crazy things that the think tank has helped different species with. But the, oh, most, the, amazing, the most amazing is the fact they cured the Vidian phage. We're yes. like, what? Oh my yeah. God. He's like, you, don't, you won't even recognize them anymore. Of course we don't, because they're all cured. This is amazing. I had no clue mm-hmm. that this was what happened because of the think tank. Then they said when they helped the citizens of Rivos 5 resist the Borg, they only asked for the recipe of their famous... Zoft nut soup as payment. And I thought, wow, look at these philanthropists. Look how great they are. Sometimes they just yeah. want a recipe. They don't even ask yeah. for money. Yeah. They don't even ask for anything. like really harmless. Really harmless and harmless really think tank. Do-gooders, you know, yeah. someone that you want to be friends with. And so mm-hmm. Janeway says, hey, well, is there any job that you won't take? And uh, let me just tell you a little bit about the prime directive. So I just want to know, what are your parameters? Yeah. Where do you draw the line? And, you know, Koro says, well, we don't participate in genocide and we don't create weapons of mass destruction. And Janeway's kind of nodding in approval, mm-hmm. like, cool. And then Kuro asks Seven if it's okay if the AI could interface with Seven. Seven looks at Janeway. She nods. Seven agrees. And he does interface with her. And Seven tells us that the AI is requesting information about integrating organic components into its technology. Again, she looks over at Janeway for uh, for approval. Janeway nods, and she she then allows him to um, take some knowledge from her. She gives him a few pointers, and the AI thanks her. 
And Koros says that um, they can solve this Hazari paradox without firing a single weapon. And then she gives him a pad with Voyager schematics and also an overview of our database for him to sort of pick and choose to see what he would like as it's like a little menu. It's basically yeah. like she's the waitress giving she, a menu and she even she says, gave, she gave him the I recommend, menu. I, I recommend the replicators. They're very popular this time of year. I, I recommend they're, they're, they're in season. They're quite fresh. Yes. I really yeah. do feel that you will be satisfied with this entree. I, I got to say, I loved uh, Kate's performance in this whole episode. Uh, she she did a, a great job. She had a sense of adventure and she fun did. and sarcasm. She oh, and she, yeah, she was the running bit with the puzzle frustrating her was great. I thought she was awesome in this episode. Rare form. She was in rare form. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so now we're back on the bridge, unless you have any other comments about. No, no, I, okay. we go back to the bridge after the server has offered up the day specials of replicators. And uh, <laughs> Chakotay says uh, we got some bad news. Yeah. Every possible escape route is a trap. They're all traps. Uh, of course they're they are. They're all traps. There's mm -hmm. more Hazari vessels joining mm -hmm. uh, to search for them. And, and so there's no way out. And Janeway says, don't worry. We're going to let the think tank, you know, uh, solve this problem. Put our plans on hold for a minute. Let's just yep. wait. So, yep. uh, so we kind of think that these guys are going to help us out. And mm -hmm. uh, we go to the ready room next. And Tuvok says, Kuros is back. In isomorphic Janeway. form. In isomorphic form, he is mm -hmm. back and he's got his list, basically. He's made a list of things he wants. And he says to Janeway, uh, on the list, there's quantum slipstream drive. Mm -hmm. And again, Cape's very funny. She's like, good luck with that. We couldn't we couldn't make that thing work. Right. That technology. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, he asked for Neelix's recipe for Shadra Cobb. Mm -hmm. He asked for an Olmec, an ancient figurine, mm -hmm. Olmec figurine. And Janeway's like, well, I think Chakotay might be persuaded to mm -hmm. part with that. Mm -hmm. And then she looks at the list and she goes, you can't be serious. <laughs> and she stands up and you realize, and you know, she is yeah. in shock. Yeah. And she, she says, no, she first, she says, it can't be serious. And then she goes, no, yeah, this she can't says, happen. No. Then we figure out it's seven of nine he that he says, wants. Yeah. Yes. He wants seven of nine. And I, I started making notes of push-ins at this point. I did notice okay. a pattern of camera shots that were pushing in, mm -hmm. that, that, you know, there seemed to be you, uh, you mean pushing into the two shot or to a single? What into are you talking singles, about? Okay. Into singles, into singles. Yeah. That, and, I, and I made some more notes as these next few scenes came up. I was like, God, enough of the push-ins. Like mm. The camera just keeps like pushing in. It was very, was it very procedural. Yes, procedural, I would say. It felt like a cop show or a medical show. Gotcha. For our show, it's just, it's that's not a uh, an ingredient that we use all the time. We use it right. sometimes, but right. I started noticing a pattern of like, oh, we're pushing in at the end mm -hmm. of the scene. We're pushing in again. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Janeway says no, but Kuros comes back with, why don't you ask Seven what she thinks? And Janeway's yes. like, oh, okay. And now? Now some time passes. We come back. Seven has thought about it, and uh, Seven says she'll do it. And Jane uh, yeah. said, "She's Jane was like, so what? quick." Yeah, she's like, "I'm ready." <laughs> yeah, she's, and and Seven's basically like, you know what? Uh, if if I go over there, that will solve the ship's problem. 
And yeah, Jamie was it, like, this isn't a puzzle. Right. <laughs> I, I love the puzzle theme here, but it isn't yeah. a puzzle with a solution. Like, yeah, it, it just, but the way that she, she so nonchalantly agreed, it's, it's almost like, I felt like Janeway was sending her to summer camp, you know, it's like, yeah, I'll be gone. Yeah. I'll be, I'm fine. It's like, Oh, no problem. Yeah which was a little unnerving to watch. That. Then, yeah. And Janeway says, you know, slow down with this. Yeah. I mean, if you decide you really do want to go, then I'll respect your decision. It's not yeah. my right to tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. And this is another scene in the middle of the scene. We have these push-ins by the way, <laughs> like yeah. every time there was a deep thought from someone, it was like the camera was pushing in. Janeway says seven, why don't you talk to Kuros and see, you know, what, go see what the opportunity is. And really take some time to think about this and mm-hmm. then, then give me your answer. So we go to Cargo Bay uh, uh-huh. to the Borg Re- Regeneration Alcove in Cargo mm-hmm. Bay. And Kuros is uh, explaining to Seven what, what they're hoping is that... Um, yeah, Seven know, begins with, why me? That's the top of the scene. She's like, ex- why me? Why, yeah. are you, why am I special? Right. So, yes. And he he talks about uh, all the uh, Borg implants and the, the the entire knowledge of the Borg held in a single mind. And, and they just think that she is the think tank believes that she is the perfect candidate to be one of them. Yeah, because they, with seven, they have access to basically the entire Borg database. So this is yeah. huge for them. They, they yeah. think this is. This is a, a major win for the yeah. think tank. And then Seven starts just bringing up, you know, ethical issues. She starts talking about how, well, what about the people that don't agree to your terms? You just leave them hanging, you know, and you just mm-hmm. you force people to to pay you what they need to pay you in order for you to solve their problem. I mean, you've been act the group kind of has been acting selfishly. And Kuro says, well, they have a singular mission to perfect their knowledge. And then he says perfection sometimes necessitates selfishness yeah seven declines the offer basically she does she says i can do all of that what you're describing i can do all of that here and by the way he says we haven't taken a new member to our group in years and i think he says 17 he years. says 17 but it wasn't as effective it would have been cooler if he says we haven't taken a new member for 82 years that would have been a little more you know oh. yeah. but yeah. 17 sounds a little too yeah. recent in a way for me um, he says think about it yeah She's called then, to the bridge. Yes, right? Tuvok calls, calls her to the bridge. We go onto the bridge and we're- Koros lo- joins. He asked to join. Yeah. He asked to join. They, they uh, Seven and Koros walk onto the bridge. Blue alert. I love blue alert. Blue alert. <laughs> uh, we hear the Hazari are approaching. I do. I love blue alert. It looks cool. <laughs> the Hazari are approaching and Seven says she declined. And Koros says, well, she's declined our first offer. So you're like, oh boy, here we go. He's not, he's determined. Mm-hmm. Um, but Chorus does offer up the strategy that they use. Um, yeah, to fight off those two Hazari ships, right? Yeah. I mean, he says that whenever uh, there's an attack ship up front, they always have a support ship behind. Uh, so if you take them out, there's going to be another ship right behind. And so Jamie says, well, okay, let's, well, let's hold on, Robbie. Right? You know, well, actually what it is, is the strategy that the Hazari use, the attacking ship, their shields are bolstered by the ship behind them. Oh, that's so now, what it is. So then when we fired on them, it was really no effect. It didn't do much to them. But if we and take so out that support fire, ship. Yes. If you fire on the support ship, their shields are not bolstered. They're they're going to uh, they're going to take damage. That's so what it was. It was, that the, was the tip. Mm-hmm. He gives them the tip. He gives them the tip. And so Janeway says, 
fire photon torpedoes. Now, now I go back to my first trivia <laughs> <Yeah>. comment. <laughs> we ran out of photon torpedoes. We only had 38. Yes. This is, this is more torpedoes <laughs> that we don't even have. But uh, we fire them anyway, I guess. We, we do. And then we go to warp. Yeah. And now Kuros, he has, you know, he tells us that he has analyzed or the think tank have analyzed hundreds of scenarios and that Voyager will not survive. And uh, he says, you need to order seven of nine to join us, Captain Janeway. And then <laughs> Janeway like, says, I've had enough of we this. Have it. Oh, she goes, we have an old expression, Kuros. Don't call us. We'll call you, which yeah. is more of a Hollywood expression, I think. And um, she says to remodulate the shields to a phase variant frequency, which starts to fritz out Kuros's isomorphic projection. And then he's gone. And now we come over to the think tank ship. And well, we, we, end, we end that scene on the bridge. And the last yep. thing Janeway says is, now, well, looks like we have two threats now. Yes, that's the right. Hazari and our and, saviors. Yes. And now we jump to the think tank ship. And they calculate that even though Seven has refused their initial offer, there's still a 96% chance that Seven will become part of their group. And this is a scene, I got to say. So we tilt up off this dome, this mm. telepathic dome, and push yeah. into Jason Alexander. Mm. And then it just sort of cuts around and we hear the voices all talking to each other telepathically. Right. But I felt like this was a real sci-fi moment that just didn't feel like it was photographed in a sci-fi way. Ah. Like I really sort of felt like, you know, we tilt off the dome, we push into him and then there's just shots around the room. I wish there had been some cooler sort of something with a little more style to it that, that covered this telepathic meeting of the minds here. It just felt a little, it felt a little flat to me. This you have a suggestion? Did you have I don't know. Idea? I don't know if it would have been like low angles or or dutched angles or mm. you know just more variety in the in the coverage of this scene. It felt like this is yep. something they just shot really quickly and yep. I feel like this was a big important scene to know the bad guys have done all these calculations just to feel the the stakes here. Mm -hmm. And it didn't feel as dynamic as I wished it could have. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so their final decision is just to wait and let the problem solve itself. And mm -hmm. that ends us, uh, that brings us out of this scene. And now we have a super cool exterior shot of space yes. of a Hazari vessel speeding in and coming across this debris field, which clearly is Voyager. You see, you know, you see different parts of Voyager just scattered all over the place. And um, now we cut to the interior of the Hazari vessel and the Hazari captain is he's he's not happy he's like no Wait a he minute. said i told you to like yeah. disarm them not yeah. to destroy we, we, them. they're not supposed to be destroyed yeah we yeah. were just gonna disable them that's it yeah. and um he's not happy at all and my question here is there is no explanation of how they caused that debris field to be like None. that there's nothing it's like in this in the span of minutes or, or a very short amount of time, we're able to replicate uh, de debris pieces of Voyager and throw them out it was there. Very, it was, and, and we have to, we I had to, we had to replicate enough that we could hide behind yes. the debris field. Yes. So where is all this coming from? It just, I don't it know. just to me, it's a cool shot. It's a cool idea, but it's just, there's no basis in any scientific fact of how they did no. this. So it's, Pulls you out and a little bit. There. Yeah, they they skate over this very quickly, but mm -hmm. it's a it's a it feels like a big cheat. 
But yeah. we do go to the bridge and Janeway says uh, she orders the spatial charges that they hid in the debris field to be detonated mm-hmm. and it damages the Hazari vessel. And this is a smaller Hazari vessel. It's not one yeah. of their big fighter ships. It's like a right. shuttle almost. Mm-hmm. They detonate the, the spatial charges and Voyager comes out from its hiding place in mm-hmm. this debris that they could not have made. And right. um, <laughs> comes out and Janeway says, transport the shuttle, their ship, their vessel into yeah. the shuttle bay. Well, lock it. Well, actually, she lets says, okay. So Janeway, beam. yes, correct. She locks, she says, lock on a tractor beam, pull them in the shuttle bay, and then pull them in. beam the Hazari crew to um, to Voyager. So yeah. to the transporter room. Uh, I The next scene is super cool because, not because it's in the transporter room, but because finally, finally, someone beams in, not standing up perfectly. Yeah, I was so happy that he was bent down. So I got to say, man, O'Hara for doing all his procedural type of shots. He did do one cool shot, which is having someone kneeling down. You know, yeah. it's just finally is you're, you're beamed in 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 the prop because you can tell he's knee, he's kneeling down because he's probably working on some type of panel or on his ship or repairing, trying yep. to change something so i do like that scene because of that yeah that was and, cool and i gotta say again when you get the close-up of the hazari on the transporter pad and you take a look makeup. at that, that makeup oh makeup is good. god it's so good it's so yeah. good really really good we go to the cargo bay uh inside the vessel and chakotay and Jane, we are looking over trying to get uh, information or data from this ship mm-hmm. and i noticed outside the window there's some extras that just sort of stop and point and then walk on. I was like, <laughs> what? I mean, I know that she said, pull it in a shuttle bay. Yeah. And we're probably in the shuttle bay, but like, what are those extras doing out the window behind Chicote? They're just like pointing and stopping and looking and then walking. It yeah. Just, it's a funny a moment. Strange. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so Tuvok, Tuvok enters. Tuvok yes. comes in and they're like, how did you get anything? Yeah. And any success with your mind melds? He mind melded with those guys. And he said, no, <laughs> no, no. They, they don't. They're too, uh, they're too, uh, they're too good. Very for resistant. Yeah. You can't get extreme, mm-hmm. extremely resistant. But I'm like, it's a mind meld. <laughs> like you can't. Don't I, mess with a Vulcan in a mind melt. Yeah, but clearly they're so advanced, they're able to block it, right? So these are more then, questions that we don't have answers for. More questions. Yeah. And then Janeway <laughs> says to Tuvok, she says, hold off on the torture until until <laughs> something. And Tuvok just nods. And I was like, she what? was joking. Yeah, like we don't we don't tw- like Tuvok doesn't laugh. Yes, he should have went option she, torture. I don't well, think so. No, when she said hold off of the torture, he should have went ha 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 yeah, exactly. ha with a really dry Vulcan delivery of H A H A H A, and it does not happen. Chakotay finds a series of encoded transmissions. Janeway mm-hmm. asks Chakotay to check their sensor logs to see if they've had any visitors. And he says, well, you know, I do have some bio readings, but man, they're really scrambled. So Tuvok says, hey, the doctor, he may be able to figure this out, these bio mm-hmm. readings, which then leads us to sickbay. And-, and by the way, before we go to sickbay, mm-hmm. she's, Janeway says, yes, have the doctor try to, uh, you know, yeah, decode I'm, these bio readings. Correct. And she's really close to Chakotay. I just want to say. <laughs> she's like leaning on him. Okay. 
And then when Tuvok <laughs> takes off, she and Chicote share sort of a smirky look, and then she flips her hair. Oh, does she? And walks out, and oh. he sort of and he sort of smiles. <laughs> He's got like a smirky smile after he watched her take a few steps away. Wow! It's just like there's a lot of energy between Beltran and Kate Mulgrew that I don't know if they were trying to play. Like it wasn't scripted, all of that sort of tone and energy. But there's little stuff that I'm just like. Come on, writers. Yeah. <laughs> like it's gold. Write more of that. Anyway. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So now we're in sick bay. Now we're in sick bay. The doctor has created a forensic reconstruction from the bio readings using the hollow emitter. And voila, it's a Malon. He is the person behind it. It's, it's yes, like, yes. Oh. We see this hologram of a Malon come up. And mm. before, just before he does that, he says, he says to everybody, brace yourselves. Brace yourselves, yes. Mm-hmm. And then the Malon comes up. Yeah. Janeway and... says something doesn't feel right. And she notices isomorphic signatures are embedded exactly. in the bio readings. This is not a Malon. It's only a projection. And that's when Tuvok says, brace Tuvok. yourself, right? Exactly. <laughs> Tuvok restores these yeah. original signatures and then yeah. says to the doctor, brace yourself. Brace yourself. Check and yourself it, before you wreck yourself. Okay. That's right. And it's Kuros. It's, it's Kuros. Kuros. The whole thing was a setup. He's a con man. Kuros oh. and his split ends. That's Busted. who it was. Mm-hmm. That hairdo. Oh, my that gosh. Crazy hairdo. So briefing room. Uh, Janeway says... I believe we've both been manipulated by the same person. All we yeah. have to do now is outthink the think tank. I just love those. I mean, she's she really relishes all these little lines and these little quips that Michael Taylor has given her, which is wonderful. I mean, it it has a lot of personality uh, in this episode for Janeway. And yeah. a lot of awesome lines, very, very diehard like lines. You know what I'm yes. saying? Like yeah. these little one-liners that that just they're zingers and they work really yeah. well with Janeway. Um well, any other she, uh, well, she's yeah, she's telling the Hazari, like, we've both been tricked here. Yeah. And if we can outthink them, if we can work together, yeah. um, maybe maybe we can bust these guys mm-hmm. because the Hazari says, yeah, I know this think tank group. They've made a ton of enemies. So he yes. knows he can get some money for them. Yeah. Like if they can, you know, yeah, he capture can get, them or yeah. yeah, there's they have a lot of enemies. So they're motivated, you know, by that. Right. So that anyway, probably, we, uh, they'll probably get a bigger bounty for exactly. with the think tank than with Voyager. Right. Exactly. Um, we moved to mess hall. Yeah. We moved to mess hall for like a team meeting, which well, I thought was I, really weird. It is weird, but I wrote Janeway assembles her own think tank is what I wrote yes. down. Yes. And uh, she basically says, we've got a puzzle and we're not leaving this room until we solve it. How do we find them in subspace? And if we do find them, their hull is impervious to our weapons. So how do we capture them? Harry suggests a multispatial probe. Torres says that would take weeks of scanning. The Hazari are like, we don't have that time. Tuvok says, well, we could use subspatial charges to force them out into the open. And Chakotay says, yeah, that's great, but we still have to find them to target them. So Janeway says, you know what? Direct assault probably is not going to succeed. And we need to use pure tactics and psychology, just like the think tank use on everybody else. How do we manipulate them? And now we have this crazy passage of time where it just kind it's of like a weird montage. Yeah, it's a really like, weird montage. And when the camera pans across and you see you see Paris talking to Neelix, I'm chewing gum. I knew that. I was, I was oh, chewing I sat there. Gum. I was I sat there and I thought, okay, 
is he eating something like a snack? And then I look, he's not holding anything. No. I said, no way. Robbie's actually chewing gum in this scene. I can't believe I chewed gum. They didn't catch that. I'm so shocked. I know. I'm so embarrassed. That's a horrible thing. I didn't want to say it. I wanted you to say it first. And so when you said that you were chewing gum, I'm like, oh, I was right. Yeah, I was right. I didn't want to make the assumption that I was right, but I felt that you had some gum. It's a classic actor problem. It's like, you know, I've I've told actors so many times when I'm directing or whatever, like, oh, spit your gum out, spit your gum out. Because it's just, you forget, people forget. But in this montage, like we got, I got busted. They just reminded me when I was filming Into the West, in 2004 whatever it was the miniseries on tnt set in the old west set in the 1800s right and so there's a scene where my character the chinese railroad worker sets some charges with a couple of other workers and we're trying to run out of these caves before the explosion takes us out too myself i had my cell phone on me <laughs> in my wardrobe I, uh, this is so crazy you see and the it, outline of the well cell no phone? what happened is it popped out of my it came while we were running it came out of my pocket and it flew up in the air and the actor behind me caught it in midair and put it in his pocket and kept running oh, that's it was incredible. funny I, they didn't use that take but it's it's still in, he was like dude why do you have your phone on your wardrobe right now i mean this is like you can't that's 18 65 you're not gonna have a cell phone funny. and so yeah so it reminded me of of just things that actors that we do that we forget about and and you clearly had a good piece of gum in your mouth <laughs> you i had gum shot. or the you other were... classic thing is like uh, you know we have sides uh, yeah, which are little... the, with the scenes they they shrink down the script pages into yeah. something that you can hold it small you can yeah. fold it and stick it in your pocket yeah, like a pack and of cards size i can't tell you how many times i've seen Actors have their sides. They mm. fold them up, stick them in their pocket, and, and then it's sticking out of the pocket. It's sticking oh, out of the pocket. You can and see it. It's in the scene. Oh, like if gosh. you ever see a little bit of white paper, little white sticking paper out of sticking out. That's the <laughs> that's their lines. Pages. Yeah, their yep. script pages. That is hilarious. So we have we have our yeah we have our montage, and I just want to comment: mm-hmm. our think tank sucks. We're like we're coming up <laughs> with no ideas. We got okay. nothing. We've yeah, got like, a crappy. We've got a crappy think tank. That's it, just yes. all it is. Um, but then, you know, what changes the energy is <laughs> Chainway hands seven, the puzzle, the sheer lunacy game that Paris has yep. brought has introduced to the crew and she goes, solve it. And so she does. And then, um, we find, you know, everyone's shocked. Yeah, she's like, like How you, did can, you do you this? can solve this, prove it, prove yeah, it, do yeah. it. She does it very quickly, right? Very not, quickly. Not, not a lot of moves. And yeah, then, Jenny was uh, like, how did you do that? And yeah, she goes, I scanned, I scanned it. it. <laughs> I cheated. Yeah. Paris goes, well, no, she didn't say I cheated. Paris goes, that's cheating immediately. Yes. So you're you're not happy with that. And Janeway says, well, you know what? If you can't solve a puzzle, cheat. And she goes, if you can't outthink a think tank, don't try. Neelix is like, well, what? Just give up? And Janeway's like, no, 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 no. She, if seven can link with their communications array, she can disrupt it and then they would be vulnerable. So that is the plan that we come up with. And finally, the think tank, and it really wasn't the think tank. It was Janeway who figured that yeah. out. The think yeah. tank was was just useless. We, our think tank sucked. Our think tank was bad. Yeah. It's horrible. Um, <laughs> uh, do you have any more notes on that scene? No, or can we move seven's going to go in pretending okay. to join their think tank. Yeah. And then she's going to link with the computer and, basically disrupt their Trojan Borg, Trojan Trojan Borg. Borg. Exactly. So we go out to a cool space shot of the think tank ship, the vessel. 
Right. It was a cool shot. The camera going up the side of that thing tank yes. and the light. I don't yes. know if it was a model or if it was CG. It looked like a real physical model. To yeah, me. it was very yeah. cool. It was super cool. The think tank vessel interior. We now see that we now hear that the Hazari vessel is hailing them through subspace. They answer and the Hazari say, look, you guys have deceived us. You lied. You wanted us to deliver Voyager. Well, fine, we can do that. But now, because you lied to us, we are requesting triple, triple, triple the payment. bounty. Yeah. Yep. Or we'll just let them go. We'll just let them go. Kuros finally, you know, he bends. He he says, I, I agree. We'll go ahead and send you, you know, triple the bounty. And now we have a exterior space shot of um, Hazari ships attacking Voyager. Right, it was cool. By the way, it was very Top Gun. Like those Hazari ships were doing some Top Gun moves. Yes, that was pretty cool. Very, very Um, Top Gun. We cut into the bridge. There's sparks flying, Mm -hmm. um, and Kuros is is saying to Voyager, "You know, sorry, the Hazari are, are greedy." They're just, they're really greedy. And yeah, he's, um, he's just in her ear right now. So yeah. just chatting away. More Hazari are approaching. Yeah. And then Chakotay says he detects an unauthorized shuttle launch from the shuttle but, bay. Yes. And, and seven, they figure that out. And they, and they go, who's, who's in there? It's seven. And Kuro mm-hmm. says, well, seven is trying to save your ship. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kuro says, safe journey home. And then he disappears. He's gone. So he thinks he seven, he's forced seven into sacrificing herself to save the ship. Yeah. Uh, we cut to his ship. He's very smug. And very he says to seven, we knew that you would uh, make this decision. We calculated mm-hmm. this. We ran all the calculations and we knew that he's very smug, very cocky. Yeah. And uh, then the Hazari call and say, all right. Uh, you got what you wanted, pay up now. Mm-hmm. And he cuts the call with Hazari. And he's like, this was suspicious. Why are they yeah. in such a hurry mm-hmm. to get paid? Mm-hmm. Um, if they decloaked, then they would be vulnerable. And he, he's, so he's kind of smelling a trap. Yeah. So then he detects that something's going on. There may be a trap. And he's talking to Seven and... He then say, you know, he's asking her what's going on. And he says, well, you know, we don't even have to ask you. All we have to do is we have to link you to our communication system and our AI will probe your mind and reveal Janeway's plan. And so he's so smug about this. And uh, that's what happens. She is linked into the communication system. At that point, the doctor uh, notifies Janeway that Seven's neural transceiver has been activated. Janeway then orders Tuvok to transmit a carrier wave, which ends up shutting down their communication system. And you the see Trojan her, horse works. Yeah, yeah, you see her neural implant sort of fritzing and sparking. Yeah, yeah, which, yeah. Which we've never seen before. No. I don't recall mm-hmm. that ever happening. No. So it's a nice little visual effect there for that. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. we see uh, Janeway uh, orders the Hazari to fire spatial charges, which then brings... Um, the think tank vessel out of subspace and seven is at that point beamed back on board. Kuros appears in his isomorphic projection on the bridge and he is trying to persuade seven to return. He starts to fritz a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And he, by the way, when he's on his ship, he can't communicate with his buddies. No, he can't. He can't. They don't have that telepathic. No. <laughs> The communication system is down. Yeah, he can't. He down. Can't, uh... So he he says words like you know, turn this off, put shields up, and the guy's like, they don't bark, bark, bark. <laughs> very funny. I like. How I does like he do it? it? <laughs> <laughs> so he starts fritzing. Chainway says, 
it looks like your ship's having difficulties. And then uh, he says, Koros goes, it's a minor problem. Janeway tells him, I'm sure you'll find a solution. Just give it some thought. And that smirk she gives him at the end, the best. It's just like, yeah. oh, she she played with all these lines and she loved, I'm sure she loved every moment of this. This is a really good yeah. episode for her. So yeah. uh, he fritzes out and then we see an exterior shot of all these Hazari ships that are firing away. Oh, they're firing at will. There's like, there's, and more showing up onto the scene. Voyager goes to warp and we're out of there. And that ends yeah. the scene. And it's, it ends it, not only the scene, it ends the whole show at that point. Yeah. The episode we go done. out on that big yeah. attack as we just take off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the end. Cool. That is the end. What is your theme? What is your lesson? My your theme, overall lesson. My theme I wrote down here is simply acquiring knowledge doesn't necessarily make you smart. That's mm-hmm. the lesson for me. Like just, just possessing knowledge doesn't mean that you can put it to good use. And I think there was a lot of arrogance and a lot of ego, a lot of cockiness yeah. with this, this think tank gang. They had, uh, you know, they had done a lot of, Solved a lot of puzzles, but the, they they got outsmarted here. Even though mm. Janeway didn't have all the knowledge, she was able to come up with something more clever. So, okay. What about you? Yeah, um, I just kind of said beware of a wolf in sheep's clothing because we really look at the think tank as a, a helpful group that you know yeah. they're good guys, and then it turns out well. They had ulterior motives the entire time. That's right. My rating of this episode, Think Tank, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a flat out seven. I'm going to give it a seven. Interesting. Okay. I give, my rating for this episode would be a, there's a lot of things I liked about it, but ultimately it was a little, it felt a little slow to me and a little flat in places. Mm I would say 6.5 is my rating. I'm going to revise mine. I'm going to join you. 6.5, 6. yeah, 6.5? I'm going to join you at okay. 6.5. Our captain and admiral average rating. Let's see how close we got. Okay. For Think Tank, 6.8. Woo! Look at oh, that. See, if you had stayed where you were at 7 and I went 6.5, we'd be right, right there. Right in the middle. Our, we would, our, our average, average is 6.8. Oh, yeah. my goodness. I should have stayed with my first choice. Oh, oh well. Oh, well. <laughs> Jinx, you owe me a Coke. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. Thank you to everyone for tuning in to this week's episode of the Delta Flyers. Join us next week when Robbie and I will be reviewing, recapping, and discussing the episode Juggernaut. Love mm. that name. I love that name, Juggernaut. Yeah. Ooh, yes. It'll be fun. Mm-hmm. This was fun. It was fun to watch. Uh, yep. Jason Alexander and yeah. Kate Mulgrew tearing it up. Everybody yeah. did a good job. It was fun, fun watching Jason. I just wish he didn't have that hair. That's my main complaint right there. Yes, the hair. Agreed. Yeah. I think I think if he had not that hair, if that hair did not exist, that wig, this would have been in the sevens. Higher rated. Yes, yeah. I would have rated higher. That, that higher hair really rate. took it down for me. So yeah. that was the issue. All right. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. See you next uh, week. Patreon patrons, please stay tuned for your bonus material.